to 5, starting at verse 13, and that's on page 1172 in the Church Bibles. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit. And the spirits, what is contrary to the flesh, they are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. And we're going to read Psalm chapter 33. It's on page 560. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with a harp. Make music to him on the ten-string lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. His purpose is of his heart through all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. From heaven, the Lord looks down and sees all mankind 
From his dwelling place, he watches all who live on earth, he who forms the hearts of all, who considers everything they do. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him, our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. as we come to look at God's word now. Father, we thank you uh, for your words. Uh, we thank you that in it we, uh, we meet you as you reveal yourself to us. I pray this morning that we will see your faithfulness. And as that happens, you will in turn produce in us a faithfulness to you and each other. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I wonder if anyone remembers a news story from a few years ago about a, a dog called Perro. Anyone know this dog's name? No, just me, that's all right. Uh, there were two owners, Alan and Shannon. They sold their dog to a new home, to a farm, so it could work and have a, a good life there. And they were surprised 12 days later, this is Perro, 12 days later, to find the dog on their doorstop, doorstep, having traveled 240 miles to get back to them. They always say, if you want loyalty, you get a dog. I wonder, are you, would you describe yourself as the faithfulness of that dog, or would you describe yourself like our dog, who anywhere you can get, he gets food, he will go? What does faithfulness look like? What does faithfulness look like? See, we love to think, oh yes, I want to be faithful, but it's not all that easy, is it? As we look around, we see unfaithfulness everywhere. We experience it to some extent or another. Friends let us down. Politicians promise things that are at best unrealistic, at worst downright lies. 30 to 40% of marriages and long-term relationships experience unfaithfulness. And in our own lives and in our own minds, if we're really honest, we find ourselves compromised. On a Sunday, we sing to God and pledge our commitment to him. But in the week, we find ourselves Compromise, pulled in all kinds of different directions. And it causes mess in our relationships with each other. What does true faithfulness look like? Well, what I want to see today is this. Let God's complete faithfulness lead you into a life of faithfulness. Let God's faithfulness lead you into a life of of faithfulness. I want us to see that faithfulness flows from his faithfulness, and hopefully by the end of the sermon, that will make sense. Today I'm defining our faithfulness as this, taking God at his word and, a, uh, and letting it flow into a steadfast obedience to him in all of life. Taking God at his word 
and letting, letting it flow into a steadfast obedience to him in all of life. And there's three things I want us to see. And the first is this, the source of faithfulness, which is the character of God. The source of faithfulness, the character of God. Surely if we want to see what faithfulness look like, looks like, then we need to look to the, one who, the only one who is truly uh, un, uh, faithful to us. As we think about a relationship with God, we have to ask this question, don't we? Can we trust him? Can we trust him? And the answer in the Bible, the resounding answer is yes. Absolutely, completely, without a doubt, we can trust him. And I could have picked lots of passages. We could look all over the place to see that God is faithful. But I thought Psalm 33 is quite a helpful uh, place to start because you see these psalmist is singing. They're rejoicing. And what is the basis of their singing? It's this. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. The word of the Lord is right and true. That's what faithfulness looks like. It's God whose word is true all the time. It's how we know who God is. He reveals himself to us through his word. And when God speaks, in his word we find absolute truth. We see that in creation, verse 4. Uh, verse, uh, verse 6, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep uh, into the storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. God's word happens. We see it in his uh, supreme rule and his plans. Verse 9 uh, to 12. He carries out his purposes and he thwarts the purpose of those who are against him. We read in Jeremiah, don't we? I alone know the plans I have for you. Plans to bring you prosperity and not disaster. Plans to bring about the future you hope for. In Deuteronomy, we read that the Lord is the only God and he is faithful. He will keep his covenant and show his constant love to a thousand generations of those who love him and obey his commands. His word holds high and he sticks to it. Think of Abraham and Sarah, barren, not able to have children, And yet God promises them that they will have children and that through those children he will bless the whole world. In fact, he will make a nation and their descendants will be more numerous than the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. And through them, all people will be blessed. And he carries that promise through. Think of the promise to Moses, a reluctant Moses, a reluctant people. And God says, look, I will rescue them. I've heard their cry for help and I will rescue them. And he delivers them through uh, the sea to the promised lands. And in the desert, he feeds them when they cry out. He's faithful in keeping his words. Just in John's talk, didn't we? We heard 
what kind of, even a, a bad father, when his child asks for bread, doesn't give them a stone. Well, how much more will our father give good gifts to those who ask? He is faithful to his word. And what does that faithfulness look like here in this psalm? Unfailing love. Verse 5, the Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. See, we see this driving theme through the Bible of God's faithfulness, but we see this other theme, which is our unfaithfulness, actually. The Bible gives this quite exposing picture of our hearts, which are hearts that are easily deceived, and we deceive ourselves. And in the Old Testament, we see God's people time and time again fail to be faithful to him. They continually break the promises they made. They continue to fail to be loyal. They go and serve other gods. They fail to be obedient to him time and time again. However good he is to them, they continue to forget him and his character and his goodness and turn away. And towards the end of the Old Testament, we read this book of Hosea, which is a story of an adulterous bride, and God is using it to describe the people of God like an adulterous bride. We have a book like Lamentations, which is just crying, it's mourning over the consequence of sin. And in chapter 3, we read of this, uh, this guy who's broken over the unfaithfulness of God's people and where it's left them in utter ruin. But then it says this, Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I'll wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Even in the face of ruin and unfaithfulness, God shows an unwavering, steadfast commitment to his people that will not fail as he keeps his promises. God is true to his words, his promises and his plans, his unfailing love for his people. And of course, where do we ultimately see that faithfulness? Where do we see him fulfill his words? Where do we see this unfailing love that surpasses our failure? As God reveals himself perfectly in his son, the word incarnate. We get this beautiful moment which we're about to celebrate at Christmas as the Son enters the world and lives among us and becomes the only perfectly faithful man to ever live. And what Jesus does for us is he shows the the utter faithfulness both to us as he lives among us, as he comes and dies, and faithfulness to God's as he fulfills all of God's promises in his life and death and resurrection. In Hebrews we read, The Son is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the Father of the majesty in heaven. Job done. He is faithful. 
Jesus. It was Jesus, wasn't it, who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It was Jesus who embodied God's truth, his words, as he came into this world to save it. As he achieved faithfulness where we failed. And as by his spirit, he produces faithfulness in us by opening our eyes to see who God is and opening our ears that we might begin to take God at his words. If we want to know what faithfulness is, we need to look to Jesus. We need to look to our faithful gods. So then what will it look like for us to be faithful? What is the heart of our faithfulness? Well, really, it's just about taking God at his words. What happens as we grow in our grasp of who God is, as we grasp his faithfulness more and more, he will begin to produce faithfulness in us, a loyalty to him, a commitment to him and his purposes, as we take him at his words. Someone said this, faithfulness is a character trait that combines dependability and trust based on our confidence in God and his eternal faithfulness. You see, that a character of faithfulness starts with a relationship with him. See, why do we struggle with faithfulness? Why do we find ourselves prone to wonder, as the old hymn says, prone to leave the God we love? Because so easily our hearts deceive us and we start to look for life outside of him. We forget or we deny who he is and what he says about himself. Romans says the heart of unbelief is the suppression of the truth. We exchange the truth about God for a lie. You see, if we do not think God is trustworthy, we will not be faithful to him. And if we let go of God's faithfulness, if we let go of what he says about himself, if we don't take God at his words, we will look for life elsewhere to get the things that we think we need. And so instead of being faithful, we'll become opportunists. We only, like, like my dog Brody, only showing loyalty for what we can get. Only showing loyalty and commitment as far as it gets us what we think we need. And so in all our relationships, we'll find problems being faithful as we're let down. And so what is the solution then to our unfaithfulness? What is the pathway to faithfulness? Well, interestingly, in Galatians, the word for faithfulness is taken from the same word for faith. And actually, it's interesting that faithfulness starts with the word faith, doesn't it? And Paul seems to be using it as an extension of what it means to have hope in God. How does God grow faithfulness in us? How does God grow this uh, uh, kind of unwavering taking God at his words? It's as we believe his promises. It's as we take Jesus at his word when he says, I have come to give life and life to the full. That is a big statement, isn't it? If we believe that, though, our hope will be in him and not in other things. As we're persuaded that God is all we need for life and godliness, as we let his truth, the truth, break into all areas of our life. How do we combat any sin? It's not just about faithfulness. How do we deal with sin in our lives? What's the best way to combat sin? 
It's by it being exposed for the rubbish that it is and seeing that God is far greater. And what he offers by us trusting him is better than anything sin can offer us. It's about countering the lies with truth. Now, you might be wondering why I've got a picture of some chicken. I like chicken. It's got to be said. But the thing is with chicken, it's quite plain, isn't it? There's not much taste to it. So how do we get the best out of chicken? Well, we could season it with lots of stuff, but the, the flavor doesn't really last. What's the best way? I'm told is to marinate it. You put it in something for a, a period of time, let it soak in all the flavors, and then you get this rich-tasting, beautiful dish with no added extras needed. Well, what does it mean to grow in faithfulness to God? To, to grow uh, in our ability to take him at his word. Well, it's seeing increasingly that he is everything we need and soaking ourselves in the truth over a period of time. As we taste and see that the Lord is good, as we soak in his flavor, we won't need to go elsewhere for seasoning. You see, unless we find our identity, our very flavor in who God is, we'll be continually looking for things to replace him. If I haven't found my joy in the Lord, I will look for happiness elsewhere. If I haven't grasped the acceptance that's offered in the gospel, I will try and be accepted everywhere I go and do whatever I can to get that approval. And so you see, an unfaithfulness to him and not taking God at his word will lead to unfaithfulness in all kinds of areas in our lives as we become opportunists who seek to get what we can from others. So at the heart of faithfulness then is this conviction, this certain belief that God is is who he says he is as he's revealed in his words and as he's demonstrated in the person of his son. There we discover that in God we have everything we need. That we have life and life to the full, life eternal. That he is better than anything sin has to offer us. We're told, in fact, the wages of sin are what? Death. But the gift of God is eternal life. So it's as we discover who God is or remember who he is, his faithfulness, his trustworthiness, his loyalty to us, his unfailing love, that our spirits, by his spirit, will be moved to loyalty. That our hearts will grow increasingly in faithfulness towards him and his words. And there we'll find that there is life and satisfaction and joy and hope and peace and safety, identity, security, goodness, all that we need now and forever, so that sin might become rubbish to us. So, uh, Psalm 33, verse 18, But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love, to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love 
be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. What is the pathway to faithfulness? It's putting our hope in God's, in his character, by taking him at his word in every part of our lives. Thirdly, then what does a life of faithfulness look like? What does a life of faithfulness look like? It's about letting his word break through. What does it look like to live faithful to him in a way that means we're faithful to each other as we grasp who he is, as we grow in our trust of him, as we see that he is all that we need? What would that look like in our lives? I've just got four uh, things to say. There could be loads of things, but four things I think that are really helpful. And the first is this, true obedience. We have this danger, I think, is sometimes we think of faithfulness as the ability to put on a good display. If I can turn up to church and look like everything is sorted, that is faithfulness. We want to give the impression that we're faithful, don't we? And actually, sometimes we think the way for us to be faithful is to to act faithfully, and then it will just produce itself in us. So I just need to try harder. That's the danger. We bought... Uh, we were looking for a unit to fit in our kitchen. We didn't want to spend too much money, so we thought we won't get the real wood because that stuff's expensive. And so we saw this beautiful-looking uh, piece of furniture on a website called Wayfair. Now, this is a note I would not buy anything from Wayfair because we saw this beautiful-looking piece of furniture, and it was cheap, cheaper. So we thought, right, this, this is the way. Forget the real stuff. Let's get this. This will be the thing that does the job. Well, you can probably guess it arrived, and as I assembled it, pieces started chipping off. The wood was pretty poor quality, and the manufacturing quality was even poorer. And already, the doors don't open properly. We took a shortcut, and it failed. But sometimes, I think we we try and take shortcuts to faithfulness. We think, right, I want to be more faithful, so I'll just try harder. I'll just, you know, keep the really bad stuff hidden out the way, And I'll act in this certain way, and over time, the other stuff will kind of just disappear, right? But the thing is, it's exhausting. It's exhausting, and it's enslaving, and actually, it doesn't last. New Year's resolutions tell us that. Whatever the resolution is, it never lasts, does it? But what about if we just give time to soak in the goodness of God's What if we just gave the time to discover who he is in his word and let his word flow into us, dwell in us? What if we let ourselves be vulnerable before him and said, look, God, I'm a mess. I need your help. And see his brilliance and his beauty and his power in the good news of Jesus and his goodness and the life that he offers well, then he will begin to change our character from the inside out. Then he'll begin to produce quality in us that's more than exterior and short-term, but lasting. And it will look ordinary. It will look like faithfulness in the everyday things. But supernaturally, in his commitment to us, he will change us from the inside out. True obedience. Secondly, true relationships. True relationships. See, we live our lives around people. And quite often, what are we looking for? We're looking for the person who will make me feel good about myself. 
And so often our relationships are based on the basis of somebody somehow serving us. So if I'm struggling with, with acceptance, I'll go to people that really accept me. If I'm struggling with kind of feeling uh, low self-esteem, I'll go to people who compliment me and tell me I'm great. But when they stop doing that, while my loyalty to them, those relationships start to struggle. Think of a newly married couple, Bob and Jane. I don't know any Bob and Janes. Well, Bob, when he married Jane, he, he, he was a man who had low self-esteem. He often thought quite low of himself. But when Jane met him, she thought he was brilliant. He has this secure job, and that's what she wanted. She wanted the stability. And she admired his work ethic. And so she worshipped the ground that he walked on. And Bob loved that because he was being felt good about himself. Well, how long will that relationship last when he loses his job? And she starts to see his weaknesses and failure and doesn't suddenly praise him all the time. And how much will he uh, commit to her when she doesn't uh, give him all the praise that he desires? Now, instead, what they'll find is a, a relationship where they're sucking the life out of each other. But what if, in our relationships, our identity is in God, and we're taking him at his word, and what he says about us is true? What if our identity is, is wrapped about what he thinks of us in the gospel? What does it do? It frees us from uh, serving ourselves to serving each other. It stops us being consumers who just turn up on a Sunday for what we can get to committed members of a family who look to serve as Jesus has served us. As we want to imitate him, as we are filled with his love, it flows out into loving relationships with one another in our marriages, in our parenting, in all walks of life as brothers and sisters on a Sunday and in the week. It will produce in us true relationships of service to one another, of love to each other, caring for each other's needs as Christ has met our every need and filled us. Thirdly, true conversations. As those relationships grow, what will happen is, rather than speaking for the approval of others, maybe we'll begin to speak the truth in love. Now, when I was at university, I had this real kind of crisis in faith moments. My parents who are here, hi guys, uh, they did a great job of bringing me up in church. I knew the Lord. I was thankful for them bringing me with the truths of the Bible of who God was. And I was a Christian when I, since I was 14. But at university, you have this new experience, this kind of exposure to this life that's outside of your parents, outside of kind of the bubble that is your home life. And suddenly I had all these questions. What did I really believe? But at the same time as I had these questions, interestingly, I also had this great insecurity. I needed my flatmates to like me. So I started the first week saying, look, I'm a Christian and I want to show you guys Jesus. But actually over the coming weeks and months, 
they would not have seen much evidence of that in my life, except that I would disappear every Wednesday to go to the Christian Union, and on Sunday, I'd go to church sometimes. And nothing drastic happened, but what I found is over time, I was gradually walking further and further away from the Lord, and I had lots of Christian friends at the, the Christian Union, they were really nice. They were really nice. So they'd say things to me like, oh, don't worry, it's not that bad. Don't worry, it's not that bad. It's just uni life, don't worry about it. And some just avoided me. But I had one friend who is a friend to this day, a dear friend, and I remember his words to me because he said this. He wasn't worried about flattering me or seeking my approval. He said, Phil, you're an idiot. That's what he said to me, Phil, you're an idiot. He was said more loving than that probably. You see, he'd seen this trouble in my life. He'd seen this kind of uh, disconnect between what I kind of believed and, and the way I was living and how I was kind of avoiding dealing with it by this excuse that I thought, is this what I believe or not? And he just said, you're an idiot. And he went on to tell me, he said, look, you know what you believe. You know what's true. You know who God is. You know what he's offering you. You know with him there's forgiveness and there's life. So why are you messing around? And in that moment, there was this conviction. And he had, he had various times where he called me an idiot for the same reason. There's that proverb, isn't there, that says, the kisses of an enemy may be many, but a faith, the faithful wounds of a... Oh, sorry, faithful are the wounds of a friend. True conversations. As we take God at his words, as we see what truth is, as we find all we need in him, He will free us to start speaking honestly with each other. The truth in love. As we're freed from making it about us and instead about serving others and bringing them to him. True conversations. What if this world was marked by people who were honest? What if our politicians always told us exactly what was going on? The truth. It would make voting easier, wouldn't it? What a difference it would make if when we spoke, everything we said was true. Well, it starts by taking God at his words and letting him define who we are. Finally, true rejoicing. We turn up to church, it's easy. I can put a smile on. Instagram is full of this. What do you do if you're having a really bad day? You post a picture of a puppy on Instagram. Now you're going to go on Instagram and find how many pictures of dogs there are online. But anyway, that's what you do. We, we put on a brave face, don't we? We put on this smile like everything's okay. Everything's fine. That's the British word, isn't it? How are you? I'm fine. Passive aggressive. Fine. I'm fine. We have this need to kind of hide what's really going on. We need to keep it hidden. But in the gospel, there is a freedom from that. We're told it's okay not to be okay. Because actually, none of us are perfect. And the cross levels the playing field, and we come to the cross as sinners who are broken, and our lives are messy. And as we take God at his word, we find a God who is faithful even when our circumstances are rubbish. We find a father who loves us and cares for us even when we feel awful. And he promises us security. 
He promises eternity. He promises a future that cannot be taken away. And as we trust in God's plans and his purposes, what do we find? Not fake smiles, but deep joy, even in the face of great sadness. A joy right at the heart that wells up in us. Because in whatever's going on, we have God. And he is completely trustworthy. And he works for our good. And his plans never fail. And he will keep us safe and deliver us through to eternal life. And whatever we're going through, he will use it to build us into the image of Christ. And so what will it produce in us? Not fake smiles, but true rejoicing. And that's where this psalm starts, isn't it? Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with a harp. Make music to him on the ten-string lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. Why? Because the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full with his unfailing love. So let's do that now. Let's rejoice. Let's sing together. I'm going to pray. And then we're going to sing truths about who God is. And rejoice in him. Father God, we thank you that you are faithful, forever faithful, enduringly faithful, unmovably faithful. That what you say goes, that your word is always trustworthy and right. That we can be utterly dependent on you. And we thank you that as we place our faith in you, you start to produce in us a new character. We're sorry for our unfaithfulness, sorry that we're so easily compromised, so easily we turn away, so easily we can let each other down. So, Father, we give ourselves to you. We want to take you at your word today. And we want to grow in our grasp of who you are, that you might, by your spirit, transform us into faithful people who love you and are wholeheartedly committed to you and live in obedience to you in our relationships and in the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.